Let the children be dismissed for a junior church. As they go, I'd like you to turn in your Bibles this morning to the book of Romans. The book of Romans chapter 13. And we're going to pick up our discussion this morning in verse 8. This morning the topic of our discussion is, it is time to love one another. We're going to look at Romans chapter 13 verse 8. The Word of God says this, it says, Let no debt remain outstanding, except the continuing debt or obligation to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and whatever other commandments there may be are summed up in this one rule. Don't you love the simplicity of this? Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. I want to give you a test this morning. I want to see if you can finish the uh, phrase that I'm going to share with you. Okay? Love is a many... Splendid thing. Splendid thing. Exactly. <laughs> All you need is love, love. What the world needs now is sweet love. Interesting, isn't it? I can quote you famous love songs and you can finish them, right? You can fill in the words, and if you're like me, I got a problem because I looked at the song, uh, What a Wonderful Life. You know that song? It says when you shake hands, what you're really saying is, I love you. Made the mistake of, I didn't even listen to it, I didn't go there. I made the mistake of reading the lyrics. I guess what's been stuck in my mind for like 72 hours. <laughs> it's just like, ah, okay. So you think about these songs. Why are they so attractive to us? Why are they so well known? You know why? Because what people really are longing for is love. They're longing for a love that is transformational, a love that is powerful. Dr. Carl Menninger, one of the fathers of modern psychology, said this. He said, love is medicine for the sickness of the soul. It cures those who give it and those who receive it. And we often can summarize by saying something like this. Three of the most powerful words in the world, when they're connected, are I love you. There is a, a, something in us that awakens to that, that wants that. But the problem with love in our culture and in the world that I live in is this. We have a distorted definition of love. If you go to online to dictionary.com, th this is the definition of love that you will get. And you understand why we have such confusion about love. Love is defined in this site as a profoundly tender, passionate affection for another. Isn't that nice? A feeling of warm personal attachment or deep affection sexual passion or desire, a person towards whom love is felt, to have a strong liking for, that's, that's deeply encouraging, isn't it? To need or to require someone, and that's probably one of the saddest definitions, to need or require someone. To benefit greatly from one, to embrace or to kiss, to like or desire a deep or, de or enduring emotional regard for. 
Okay, and what do you find? It fascinated me. I couldn't find in the definition of love at dictionary.com, which had a long list of verbs, nouns, you know, just all kinds of ways that the word was used. I could not find anything about selfless giving and sacrifice, which is sad. Because in the text that I just read to you, the word that's used for love is the word that we know as the, the, the word that is exceptionally regarded as Christian love, agape love, which John 3.16 defines as this, God so loved the world that he what? Gave. And he gave in a way that was selfless and self-effacing and self-sacrificing. I mean, that's the love of God that we are called to in, first, in, in Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 10. In three verses, the word agape is used either as a verb or a noun five times in three verses. Okay, it is central to what it is to be a Christian. It is the ethic, it is the moral compass that should guide and define our lives as believers. An exceptional love that is not emotional, even though it does bring about good emotions. There's truth to that. But it is a love that is primarily defined as sacrifice. It is defined in this text and in many other texts as a debt, as an obligation that we have not only to each other in the body of Christ, but to the world around us. Love is what is needed. And God calls the church to a powerful, transformational love. It is the key distinguishing mark of the Christian life. Love is not part of the Christian life. Love is the essence of the Christian life. And so strong is this, that the Apostle Paul can talk about great feats and great acts in the spiritual realm in 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 3. He said, if I give everything I have to the poor, and if I surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I am I'm going to replace the word, I am bankrupt. It is empty and meaningless if it flows from a selfish desire to promote oneself or to, or, or, or to prop oneself up in the eyes of other people. Paul says this, if it's not driven by a desire to sacrifice for the benefit and good of others, agape love, it, it, it leads to moral and spiritual bankruptcy. The kind of love that God encourages in this text is a powerful and strong love. And here's how he defines it. Look at verse 8. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. Okay, and I want us to, to kind of look at this call to pursue passionate love. And I want us to look at reasons why from this text that we should pursue a passionate love. And the first reason that's given is this. Love is an unpaid or ongoing debt. Okay, love is an ongoing or unpaid debt. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt. And the word for debt here is the idea of an obligation, a commitment. So let nothing remain outstanding except the continuing debt to pay one another. Now, the question that comes up in this text at one level is this. Is this text saying that all debt is wrong? Okay, is this saying that all kinds of debt are wrong, don't have any kind of debt except the debt to love each other? And I think... I think that pushes this text a little too far. The idea of the text is, if you have debts, pay them promptly. That is a matter of Christian ethic and testimony. Okay, so if you owe things, you ought to pay them. You have a debt, however, that you can never discharge or fully satisfy. 
Sometimes people get into trouble with credit cards and they say, I can't wait to have that credit card paid off to fully discharge my obligation to that company and never go back to that obligation again. Okay, with love, you can never do that. Okay, I can't say to my wife, honey, I have loved you for 27 years. June 21st of this year, it'll be 28 years. Okay, I can't say to her, honey, I have loved you for 28 years. I need a break. Okay, I mean, it has been imperfect love, yes. But don't you think, I hope, here's the truth, right? I owe her and I pledge to her as much, as much love tomorrow as I have given her in the past. And no matter how much I have loved her in the past, guess what? I still owe her as an obligation before God. Love. A self-sacrificing choice to do things and to care for her in ways that benefit her well-being. This text teaches us that love is an unpaid. It is a, 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 it is a, a debt that we can't fully discharge. One of the early church fathers named Origen said this. He said, let your only debt that is unpaid be that of love. A debt which you will always be attempting to discharge in full, but never will succeed in discharging. Because after I have loved someone, I still owe them love. Okay, so it's not like a financial transaction. It is a transaction in the spiritual realm that has ongoing ramification ramifications and consequences now here's the question that comes up as you read this okay to whom do i owe this selfless giving love oh we would love a narrow definition here wouldn't we we would love it to be determined by what people have done to us and then love is reciprocational okay love is if you do good things to me i do good things to you if you say hi to me dave i'm going to say hi to you okay if you invite me to your house for dinner, Mr. Ash, I'm going to invite you to my house for dinner. Here's the, here's the difficulty with that reciprocal relationship. Where does it start? Okay, if love is always a response to what someone else has done for me, then everyone would stand where? In neutral, waiting for what's never going to happen. Okay, so this love that God requires of us is not you do good things to me, I do good things back to you. Here's what Jesus said. He said if that's how you look at love in Matthew chapter 5, he said you're no different than the pagans. Someone greets them, they greet them back. It's give and take. It's not give. Biblical love is defined by what? Giving in a selfless and sacrificing way. This love is to be given according to this text you go back to verse 9 of chapter 12. Love for each other must be sincere. In verse, verse 8 of this text, it says, We have a continuing debt to love one another, which is love within the context of the body of Christ. But then notice what he says. He who loves his fellow man, not fellow believer, but fellow man, which is defined, if I recall correctly, earlier in chapter 12 as what? As my enemy that's the one i'm supposed to love and it's only then that i really understand the nature of this biblical love it is a self-sacrificing and self-effacing love it is love that is to be expressed towards strangers towards people i've, I've never met isn't that the essence of the story of the good samaritan 
right? Two Jewish people travel down the road. They see someone in need. They walk by on the other side. A Samaritan comes down the road, sees a need, stops his life, pauses to meet the needs of others, and Jesus gives that story as an expression or illustration of what? As an illustration of the fact that love is a summary of the commands, and it is a love for neighbors, and it is also a love for people that you have never met. It is a love for people who have never done you good. It's the essence of the story. Jesus then says to the rich young ruler, he says to him, he says, which of these men loved this poor beaten person? And the guy says, I suppose the one that stopped and showed him mercy. Who did he show mercy to? Who did he show love to? He showed love to a complete stranger who had never done him good. That's the essence of love. It looks for opportunities to pour out affection and care and action upon people in need. What drives this love that is an unpaid debt? What, What motivates it? And I would argue from this text, broadly speaking, Romans chapter 1, chapter 1 through chapter 11, that what is driving this debt of love is the gospel itself. It's what Jesus Christ has done for us that drives us to love others. Paul's point in Romans chapter 1 and verse 14 is this. He says, I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, to the wise And to the foolish. I am in debt to them. Why, Paul? Because of the essence of the gospel of grace that has flooded over the life of the Apostle Paul, undeserved, the worst of sinners, and has changed him. And the rest of his life is lived as what? It's lived as a debtor, a man who owes love to others. That love is not simply a deep-down decision that Paul makes in his heart and says, you know what, I just need to be a better person. I need to love people. No, it's, it's a response. It's a love that is prompted by a deeper and stronger love that causes him to feel so blessed that the orientation of his life becomes one of a debtor who has an obligation to share this love with the world around him. 1 John 4.11 says it this way. It says, if God so loved us, we... What's the next word? Do you know what the next word? If God so loved us, we ought to love each other. Same word that's used here in verse 8. It is an obligation. 1 John 3, 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our life for others. See, folks, what drives Christian love is not sheer determination. It's not a decision that you made somewhere in the past. What drives Christian love comes from within. A sense that I was forgiven an infinite debt because of my sin by the love of Christ. And that love of Christ has given me an obligation, a sense of responsibility to express that kind of love to the world around me. Even if the people that it is expressed to are enemies. If they are unknown, if they have never done me good, I have this, Paul said, I have this obligation, I have this sense to the Greeks and the barbarians, to people that were enemies, sworn enemies of the Jewish people. He said, I I sense a responsibility to love others because I understand how much I have been loved. Folks, if you wrestle with loving others, you need to get back to the cross. You need to look at and examine and focus on what Christ has done for you till it changes you, till it converts your heart. 
and causes you to have a sense that I, I ought to, I should, I must love others. So love is an unpaid debt. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. Next part of the verse says this. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled. And this is fascinating. I can never fulfill the debt of love, but I can fulfill the direction, the bent, the the bearing of the law of God. I can begin to move in that direction in a substantial way. He who loves his fellow man selflessly and sacrificially has fulfilled the law. Why? Well, I I think there's a couple of reasons in the text. Verse 9 gives us one of the reasons. It says the commandments. Don't commit adultery. Don't murder. Don't steal. Don't covet. And whatever other commandments there may be. Okay, so what does he do? He gives us a representative list. And says that list is just a bit of a summary of the bigger picture of what God expects. You read through the Old Testament, here's what you'll find. There are 600, I believe, and 13 obligations that are given to Jewish people. Now, you do ask this question. What, in what sense is Paul using the word law here? Okay, and I think since he picks up four of the Ten Commandments, that the sense of law here is the moral law that is written in the Ten Commandments that we all know so very well. Okay, so this Ten Commandments are summarized in this one rule, love your neighbor as yourself, which picks up from Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 18. Okay, all the commandments are summarized in the law that says love others. Okay, so it is a summary of our obligations to God, the first four, and to others, the last six. Okay, so that's the the law. So the the Love of others, neighbor love, is a summary. It's a way to boil it down. So when, when the religious leader said to Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? What did Jesus say? Well, the commandments are these. He boils it, all of them down to two. The first table and the second table. First tablet, second tablet. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. What's fascinating here is he doesn't even talk about loving God. Why? Because there's an assumption There's an assumption that if I'm loving my neighbor, I am in fact loving who? Loving God, right? That's why Jesus in Matthew 25 can say to to the person that says, Lord, when did I see you in need? And when did I love you like this in the way that you were giving me accolades at the eternal judgment? He said, when did I do that? And what does Jesus say? Inasmuch as you have done it to the least of these, to enemies, you did it to me. Okay, so when we love others, what are we doing? We are discharging our obligation, our responsibility to keep the law of God. Here's the question I want you to ask. What is the relationship in this context between the command to love, okay, love your neighbor as yourself, and the Ten Commandments as a whole? How do they they fit together? Because here's our struggle. The Ten Commandments are all stated in negative terms, aren't they? Right? Don't steal, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't lie. I could be talking about a baseball bat, right? Because it could be defined by negatives. I could say, well, it doesn't do this, it doesn't do that. It doesn't help me to get a picture. So the question becomes, if if the command to love your neighbor as yourself is a positive command, how is it fulfilled by the negative commands? 
In other words, how do I discharge my obligation to love Jim as as I should if I simply love him by not doing bad things to him? Okay, and what do we tend to have? We tend to have a fundamental misunderstanding of the law. All right, all the laws are stated in the negative in the Ten Commandments. But they are all lived out how? They're lived out in the positive. Okay, they prohibit certain things and call for certain things. And I believe a lot of times, that's what we miss. So I want you to think about it in this way. Love converts, it transforms prohibitions into obligations. It takes negatives and it makes them positives. All right, that's what love does. So when love looks at the Ten Commandments, particularly those that relate to other people, it says you shall love, therefore don't commit adultery. Preserve the sacredness of your marital bond. Husbands, love your wives. Guard that relationship. Don't let anything come in that would destroy the fidelity of your relationship. That's what God means. And he means pursue everything that will enhance the beauty of that marital relationship. Make it a priority to love your wife and not to love others and not let other things and sensual attractions pull you away from that. So you kill anything that threatens the marital relationship. And you embrace everything that encourages it. When he says, thou shalt not murder, what does he mean? Help your neighbor stay alive. Right? Do good things to them. Give them good things. Help them if they have a need. I mean, Jesus drives after. That's what the parable of the Good Samaritan is all about. The fulfillment of the commandments is loving people, seeing a need and meeting a need. Loving life. Thou shalt not steal, but instead do what? Provide for the needs of others. Protect their possessions. And if you read through the book of Leviticus, doing that in my devotions, you'll find that there are laws that talk about how you should respond if you see your neighbor's steer running out in the field loose. You have an obligation not to not steal it. So I see it, I'm tempted, it's a beautiful steer, I want to take it home. I didn't take it home, therefore I fulfilled the law. I didn't steal. No. No, you know what Leviticus says? It says, if you see your neighbor's animal caught in a treacherous situation, you have an obligation to help him. Which is what? It's a reversal. It's a transformation of the, of the command. Don't steal. Thou shalt not covet. Means what? This is a hard one. Be happy for the blessings and benefits that flow into the lives of those around you. That's tough. That gets personal. Don't lie. Tell the truth. Right? So, so it, this idea of love of others as a fulfillment of the whole law converts, transforms the obligations into positive pictures. Okay, and I, I would challenge you to do this. Read through the Ten Commandments and let it become a, a, a picture of how you discharge your obligation of love to others. Because as they are converted into positives, they become a powerful paradigm or model for the Christian life. Now, in this statement, love your neighbor, Paul adds this one statement. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Okay, that becomes the, if you will, the measure of love. This is an interesting statement, isn't it? You want to dis discharge your obligation to others? Love your neighbor like you love yourself. 
Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God in Ephesians 5 and verse 33, says, Husbands, love your wives like you love yourselves. Most women are saying, yeah, amen. (laughs) Right? It would be transformational if we loved others like we love ourselves. I mean, this is the... This is the, the measure of this love. And, and what does it mean? Love them as you love yourself. Discharge this obligation. And when you do this, you're going to fulfill the law if you love other people like you love yourself. Well, loving your, others as yourself means something like this. And I, I think these are basic ideas that emerge. First of all, it is certain that a person will love him or herself. Okay, now, I know what you're thinking. Okay, you're thinking, yeah, but I know people who hated themselves so much that they may have ended their own life. Okay, so what is this statement? Generally speaking, it is true of people that they will love themselves. And there may even be a way in, the most, in which the most hurtful acts towards oneself are, in fact, a love of self. Okay, it's hard for us to get that. But generally speaking, what, what is the truth? The truth is this. People have a natural tendency to be self-preserving. As a rule, exceptions to this principle are rare. And here's the other truth that emerges. I love myself in spite of my own faults. Right? If you know yourself and you love yourself, you love a fallen individual. And what happens? When it comes to loving others, what do we tend to do? We tend to think, if they haven't been good to me, kind to me, loving to me, I am not going to love them. Paul's response to that, love them like you love yourself. Love them like God loves you. And in, in a sense, what is this? This, this, this is a, a, a radical call. What's the idea? Be as devoted to the happiness and well-being and care and concern of others as you are to yourself. Okay? That is, that's radical. Okay? And if, if, if as men, we would adopt that kind of love in the context of our homes, it would, it would result in a reformation of our relationships. Love others like you love yourself. Pursue the happiness of others with the same degree of persistence and commitment and devotion that you pursue your own happiness. Folks, isn't that what Jesus did? Romans 5.8 says this. It says, God showed his love to us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He sought our very best in in a radical and amazing way. Seek the happiness of those around you in creative, energetic, and persevering ways. Now, you look at the Ten Commandments and maybe you have the same response I do. I am, when I read them, I am a failure. Okay? The Ten Commandments strike to the heart of who we are, don't they? They're a mirror, Paul, the Apostle Paul says. They're a mirror that's standing up in front of us and says, you didn't do this today, you didn't do this. Now, if you define them purely as negatives, you can typically go, oh, I didn't do bad today. But when you transform them into positives, you will sense a bankruptcy in your spirit morally you're going to say if that's what god requires in order to have a relationship with him and to have a right standing with him i must check out now i can't do it that's why when you go back into romans chapter 8 and verse 4 the apostle paul says this he says 
God does a work in our hearts in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who live no longer according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. All right, why? The Spirit enables us to do what? To begin to become people who keep the law of God and who in that law-keeping are loving people in a way that is radical and transformational. May God help us to love others in this kind of way. May husbands, Ephesians 5.28, love their wives like Christ loves the church. May we love our wives. May we love our neighbor like Jesus Christ loves us. The third thought is this. Love does no harm. Verse 10, Romans 13. It says, love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Now, this, this idea of love does no harm. Okay, I mean, how many of us are going to perfectly live out the law of God? All right, perfectly live out the Ten Commandments. I think, I think all of us are going to say, you know what? I, I don't do that perfectly. So, so what is this when it says love does no harm? It, it's a figure of speech. Okay, it's... It's something like what we, we might say, uh, he is no fool. Okay, what are we saying? That person is pretty bright. Okay, young people may say, well, that's, that's wicked, that's bad. Well, they really mean it's like really cool and good. But it's like a reversal, right? So in this text, what does Paul say? Love does no harm, meaning love does good. It's stating in a negative, a very positive and strong, powerful affirmation about the Christian life. Love does no harm. Love does good. It seeks the benefit of others like it seeks its own benefit. It is a love in this context that kills evil. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 10, John says this. He says, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And gave his life as a wrath-removing sacrifice. Beloved, if God so loved us, then we ought to. We have an obligation to love each other. Love does not do harm. So when I can identify negative attitudes in my life towards my wife, towards those around me, what's happened? There is a deficit of love that is growing. And there is a tendency for self-love to be rising. And what does God want to do? God wants to kill self-love with the love of Christ and with the love that we express towards others. Love does no harm. Love fulfills the whole law. So when we love others as we should, what are we doing? We're taking the Ten Commandments and we're putting them into practice. And a watching world is seeing Jesus Christ emerge in our lives. The last thought I want to leave you with this morning is this. Love is witness. It does the greatest good. Love is the fulfillment of the law. It, if I say it in this way, love brings the law into life and makes it visible. Okay? If you look at Matthew chapter 5 and verse 17, you find this statement. Jesus says to his disciples, I did not come to destroy the law, 
right? But I came to fulfill it. I came to be, Jesus is saying, what the law of God in the Old Testament was pointing forward to and anticipating. Okay, how did he do that? He poured himself out in love, and when he did it, he became everything that the Old Testament law anticipated. Okay, same thing is true for us. When we honor God by obeying the Ten Commandments in positive and negative ways, when we follow the prohibitions and when we follow the exhortations that they give, what happens? We make love visible. All right, we become exemplars or examples of Jesus Christ. We make him visible to the world around us today by how we live. Love fulfills the law. Love is what the law is pointing to. And when you begin to live this kind of selfless, loving life, what happens? You make Jesus visible to the world around you. And in this sense, we can say, love is witness. Now, in Leviticus 19.18, the Bible says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's the standard. When Jesus comes on the scene, he converts that statement or transforms it. John 13.34, he says to his disciples, love one another as I have loved you. Okay, What's he doing there? Okay. He just changed the standard. Okay. He, just, he, just, he just took a, a weaker commandment, and what did he do? He strengthened it. It's in a sense in Matthew 5. He says, you have heard what Moses said, but I say, right? And what's he do? He takes the command to love from Leviticus 19.18, and in Matthew chapter 5, he expands it. John 13, 34, he expands it even bigger. Why? Because on the eve of his crucifixion, he washes the feet of those that are going to deny him and one will betray him. And he looks at his disciples and he says, you love each other. Not like you love yourselves. That's not good enough. <laughs> okay. You love each other like I have loved you. Well, that's transformational. Okay, because if you sit down and think about how much Christ loves you, when you ponder that, when you meditate on that love that is spoken of throughout the New Testament, it begins to change your heart. It will break your heart. It will allow you to see our natural selfish tendencies and put them to death. Now, I think it's important that as we, as, as we kind of draw this to a conclusion, that we make a couple assertions. One is this. We are not saved by loving. Okay, because here's what you could do. You could look at the Ten Commandments and say, if the Ten Commandments are summarized by saying, love your neighbor as yourself, and if I love my neighbor as myself, then I'm in with God, right? I've fulfilled my obligation to do what God has told me to do. Now, Paul will shoot a dart directly through that thought in Romans chapter 3 and verse 20. Here's what he says. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in the sight of God by law-keeping, for by the law comes the knowledge of what? My sin. Okay, how do I know I'm a sinner? Look at the law and demands of God. Compare yourself to them and humbly walk away saying, God's right. Okay, so at one sense, I don't want you to go away today saying, you know what? If I become a more loving person, then God will owe me salvation. If you believe that, you don't understand the cross. Okay, this text 
is aiming at saying, we are not saved by loving, but if you are saved, you will be loving. Why? Because you have been rescued from your sin by the blood of Christ. And that rescue operation of God on your behalf through His Son who gave His life for you, that kind of love, when it is understood, prompts a sense of obligation. I ought to love others. Why? Because I've been loved so much. It's a love that will transform your view of others. Jesus died for enemies and on the cross said, Father, forgive them. That is a love that I don't understand, that I don't know, but it is a love that when I contemplate it, it drives my love for others. It's the idea that Paul's going after here. Another truth that we need to remember is this. Our love of others does not save them. It can point them to the one who can save them by putting him on display in our lives, right? By loving people that have never done anything good for us and in fact who may have injured us. That when we love them, it's then that we're putting skin on Jesus Christ. But I think the thing we need to realize is that if, if in those acts of love, I draw that person, attract them to me and never point them to the one that changed me, I haven't done gospel ministry and service, okay? And so we need to be very careful. We realize acts of love don't save me. My acts of love and service towards others don't save them, but it gives me an opportunity to do what? When they say thank you for loving me in that kind of a way, I didn't deserve it. What do we do? We point them to Christ. And we say, you want to know where that love's coming from? That different love of enemy, love of neighbor, that's coming from Christ, he loved me, and I ought to love you. And you have a chance to share with them who you really are. But our love can attract other people to Jesus. So, when you hear a love song, when you think about love songs in general, what's true? They are fundamentally attractive. There's something about love songs that people love. Why? Because it's what people want. It is a fundamental, basic need of humanity. They need to know the love of Christ. And when we live like Him and love like Him, we are sharing with them something that is dynamic and powerful. So I want to challenge you in your workplace. Are you known as a person of love? Or are you, if you love me, I love you back kind of person? How do you respond to the person at work who got the promotion you deserved because they lied about you? Well, the person that got the promotion that simply just didn't deserve it. But they got it anyhow. Can you love them? In the context of our homes, is we, are we known gentlemen as men who love their wives? Who really care about them? And who work at caring for them? In the way that God wants us to? In our neighborhood, are we people... That love, are we people that sing the song that everybody is longing to hear but hasn't heard? You see, because when you begin to do acts of love in the name of Jesus, you are giving voice to something that is very glorious and powerful. May God help us to be a church that begins to sense an obligation, a responsibility to love others as Christ has loved them. And loved us. Love is powerful medicine for a sick world. The love of Christ 
is the cure for our sin. And without the love of Christ influencing and affecting and saturating our lives, we act pretty much like the Jewish man that came to Jesus and is exemplified in the people that simply walk by on the other side and don't engage with those who desperately need to know the love of God. Would you bow your heads with me this morning?